CFL fans, are you ready? Because it's time for the Canadian Football Countdown on Mike FM Winnipeg. Canadian Football Countdown starts now! Hello, hello, and welcome to the Canadian Football Countdown. As always, I'm Ryan Coop alongside Michael Garrell. And we're here, and we're back, and we're here to start our look at individual teams heading into the offseason. And we start off with the hometown Winnipeg Blue Bombers here. Um... Simply because, you know, we are from Winnipeg and it makes logical sense to do so. So on today's show, we will be kind of taking a look at the season for the Winnipeg Blue Bombers, what went well, what went wrong, getting into looking at free agency. They have a lot of key free agents that are out there uh, and who kind of to watch for for the Winnipeg Blue Bombers in overall CFL free agency this year. Talk about all of that and more. Let's bring in. The ever so wonderful Michael Garrell. Good evening, Mike. Hello, Ryan. How are you doing? Yeah, snowed here for a bit in a short time last night. So cleaning that up today and then uh, getting ready for the show. Yeah, a lot of, a lot of snow the last couple of days, as is pretty common here in this city. But can't be as bad as it was for the Buffalo Bills game, can it? Oh, my goodness. <laughs> I, I, I was watching that and... You know, it was very great topish, but I mean, the amount of snow, like, see, in the first quarter, it was like whiteout conditions, second quarter. I don't think it really done any better until the fourth quarter, and then kind of fitting with the winning touchdown of in overtime on a run, and the fans were throwing all the snow up in celebration. That was kind of cool. <laughs> so let's get into, before we start talking about the. Uh, Winnipeg Blue Bombers uh, regular or their 2017 season and their off season uh, to come. We want to get into talking about some of the news from the past week in the CFL, and that's the beauty of doing this show throughout the off season. Mike is normally at this time any news comes out like the news that came out today. Well, we won't get to talk to it until what next season? No, we can talk about it the day it happened. So let's start with. The biggest news in the past week in the CFL, which came earlier today, we knew this was going to be a hot conversation topic during the offseason, and well, a couple weeks in, it's already settled. James Franklin traded to the Toronto Argonauts. Your initial reaction, Mike? Well, good on Toronto for pulling in Ottawa, and somebody is finally a bit ahead of the curve. Um, the other part to me is... What's Ricky Ray have to do with all of this? Because are you building what you did in Ottawa with Burris and Harris for two years ago now? Or is this the end of the line for Ricky Ray? So either way, a succession plan is in the works. And Assuming he signs there, right? It's just to acquire the rights to James Franklin. He still has yeah, to sign yeah, a deal I, with Toronto. Yeah, he still has to be signed. You know, that, that I understand. And... You know, James Franklin to me is the guy that uh, Toronto Ardenas clearly target, and just like any other team, if there's a guy you really want and you want, you know, a bit of a jump start to negotiate with the guy, by all means. And Edmonton, 
was probably in the situation of, you know, and this is the part I don't get if you're Toronto. Like, they gave up a fairly substantial uh, offensive lineman. His name escapes me right now. It's, uh, Mason Woods. He was a second-round pick in 2017. So anyway, yeah, so you give up a second rounder, like, for a die, and then, of course, you, you change the pit, which, to, if we're led to believe, is conditional on James Franklin signing, is probably what that pit is. Does that not tell you that there's a high probability that James Franklin signs in Toronto? I, I think it's a given. I and I say this while no, technically nothing is ever a given. Right. I think out of all nine teams in the CFL, the Toronto Argonauts make the perfect sense for James Franklin to go to. You know, and, and it's in, it's interesting, Ryan, because like, I love this tactic of if there's a guy out there that you want, go and acquire the rights. The thing I don't understand from Toronto's standpoint is... Why would you give up a second rounder in 17 without some kind of assurances that James Franklin didn't sign? Now, on the flip side, let's say Ricky Ray comes back. Are you telling me Ricky Ray takes the pay cut? Because I can tell you James Franklin's not coming to Toronto for a backloaded contract. He's going to want starters money this year. That's the whole idea of going to the market. So... For me, this is a qu- more questions for Toronto than for Edmonton. Edmonton would get in, get in something for an asset. Oh, yeah, Ed, and he made it known he wasn't going to go back to Edmonton. So basically just trying to get anything they can for him. And I think the Eskimos did get a decent piece back in Mason Woods. I've heard good things about him. But, in ter- I mean, this deal to me makes perfect sense almost for all teams involved. Like, for all parties involved, for the Eskimos, you know, trying to get something back from For Toronto, I definitely, you know, that succession plan for Ricky Ray, whether it's this year or next year. And for James Franklin, I don't think there was a better option out there. You look at the teams we were probably going to spend the offseason speculating about where James Franklin would sign. You're looking at the Montreal Alouettes, the Hamilton Tiger Cats, the Toronto Argonauts, and Saskatchewan Rough Riders. Maybe throw BC into there. I think those were kind of the teams we'd expect to be in the running, right? Well, then uh, if you look at all of those teams, if you have the option of going to, say, a Montreal, where who knows what's going to happen there, uh, or among other places... Or you can go to the defending Grey Cup champs where you have a starting role, if not this year, next year, almost guaranteed. Which one are you going to choose, realistically? You're going to choose Toronto. Right. I mean, it, it, the stars aligned. It makes perfect sense. And I tell you, I love this move by the Toronto Argonauts. You know what? And I'm surprised, Ryan, that it's a tactic that isn't used more. The acquiring the rights to the guy prior to free agency. So you basically jump the gun on having a chance to sign him. And I tell you this, I, I, I have no inside knowledge on the situation. It's pure speculation on my part. But I would bet we see Ricky Ray back out there next year on the field for the Toronto Argonauts. To me, you know, yes, Franklin's been waiting in the wing behind Mike Riley for a while. But mm-hmm. you also have Mark Tressman has a system with his quarterbacks. I think he yep. would want to have Ricky there, 
mentor him, get him used to the system, and then the year after, James Franklin takes over as the starting quarterback in Toronto. Like you said before, it's in Ottawa with Henry Burris and Trevor Harris situation all over again, and we've seen how well that worked out for the Ottawa Red Blacks. I think it's a great move for the Toronto Argonauts. I'm very happy to talk about it. Yeah, and and here's another thing too. I mean, so we talked about, you know, getting a jump in free agency. What about all these Canadian... You know, football league players such as Nick Damsky, Jerron Carter, and others. Brandon Bridge, I, whose name I also heard in there, uh, thanks to Three Down Nation. How about all these Canadians getting a look and NFL tryouts? Zilstra, among others. Like, the CFL is growing in profile. And, and it's just fantastic to see all these guys get workouts for NFL teams. Oh, I agree with you. I think more so than ever before, we're seeing, you know, CFL players getting a shot down south. And unfortunately, not too many of them end up sticking there. Uh, You look at Darrell Walker, we thought was going to make the NFL last year, but it really didn't work out for him. And he comes back to the Eskimos halfway through the season. Uh, But then you had Adam Bighill, who did manage to stay with the Saints uh, all season long. So... Uh, yeah, there's a lot more guys going down south. Not necessarily too many guys staying down south, though. So I think it plays kind of an interesting role in how you build your team because, you know, okay, your guy might be going to the NFL, but he might be cut super sh- sh- soon. How do you prep your team depending on how this guy works out in the NFL, right? Right. I, gr- I'm, just, I, I'm just looking here, Ryan, at the free agent list that you sent, mm-hmm. and I don't believe we. <clears throat> Sorry, my voice is cutting out. <clears throat> I don't believe we also talked about that Edmonton extended Sean White. That was on my list of things to talk about. I think that's a uh, huge one for the Eskimos. Okay, yeah, no, I was just looking at this on on the list here. Um, Emmanuel Arsenal also extended by BC. Right, two big pieces. So I think we're at that point where we're going to see the bigger pieces starting to get re-signed now so that teams know what they're working with when it comes to getting closer to free agency, right? Right, and then, of course, there's your core pieces, such as the Arsenals, such as in Winnipeg, the Medlots, such as... You know, you, you know exactly what I'm talking about here, Ryan. Oh, for sure. The, the big names, once you kind of figure out, okay, this is price value for a guy such as Arsenal, this is the price value for Madlock, you know, this is where Sean White fits in, then you can kind of start to fit with the, the smaller holes. Once you've figured out, you know how many dollars you have allocated to uh, allocated to certain players. How how does the uh, how does Toronto acquiring James Franklin's rights? How does that affect everyone else around the CFL? Because you know there were teams lining up to try to get him, and Toronto jumps the gun. How what does this change for a team like the Alouettes, the Tie Cats, the Riders, maybe the BC Lions? If you wanted to trim in, you might not want to wait till February. So now these teams obviously have to go out and change their approaches, uh, assuming they were interested in James Franklin, which just speculation leads me to believe they should have been. Um, Now, you know, there's one less quarterback out there, and it remains to be seen the other pieces. 
Another guy that can potentially impact, you know, the quarterback landscape of the CFL offseason is the talk of the town in the Hamilton regarding the Hamilton Tiger Cats right now. Both of their quarterbacks uh, who were under contract this past year look to be free agents, have not been re-signed yet, and yet everyone's talking about bringing another guy in, in former NFLer Johnny Manziel. I'll tell you something. For me, the more I look at this, and I know the writing's been on the wall for months, Zat Talaros is not a June Jones guy. No, I don't. I don't see it either. Because I mean, you look at the skill set of that of Jeremiah Mazzoli. What I saw watching Johnny Manziel in college and a little bit in the NFL. Those two quarterbacks are likely to fit the style of offense that June Jones wants, that that run-and-shoot offense or whatever it's called. I can't see how Jeremiah, uh, I mean, not Jeremiah, sorry, how Zach Kalaros uh, fits into there. And for me, I, in a way, it's unfortunate that, you know, Kalaros doesn't go to Toronto. That's where I had him going among, you know, and it could could still happen, of course, if Ricky Ray retires and they're looking for a backup. But for me, just to touch on Zach Kalaros here really quickly, Ryan, Kalaros mm-hmm. is almost in the same boat as Drew Willie was with the Bombers near near the end of his time with the Bombers. Great sample size, great, you know, resume up and coming. The guy gets injured, doesn't necessarily look good. Is the victim of, in Talaros' case, a, a coaching change where, you know, the Bata quarterback is favored by the, by the new coach and said Bata quarterback has success with said new coach. It's almost like I see the the comparisons between Drew Willie and Zach Talaros and both quarterbacks maybe having to have their confidence rebuilt. And that's that's, to me, why I'm a little bit disappointed that Kalaros isn't going to Toronto. Because I think if anybody can resurrect Zach Kalaros, it's Mark Trussman. Give me your analysis of Johnny Manziel and what you would expect us to see if he were to come to the CFL, which is looking more and more honestly like the case the more it's talked about. Uh, on one hand, you have, I think it was June Jones saying he has the potential to be the best player in CFL history, which drew oh. many laughs from many people. Realistically, a lot of us are kind of... The question for you is, can he be a productive or player, a star in the CFL, or is this just another one of those cases? Uh, and I lump it in kind of to, you know, the Michael Sam, the uh, Chad Johnson, the Chad Ochocinco, I mean... These high-profile NFL players that come down, come up I to Canada and uh, don't end up, you know, producing as much as uh, the, their hype gives them. And, and to be honest with you, I would have thrown Trent Richardson into that list until about week 18, 19, and 20 in the playoffs until we had so much success with the Riders. Right. But for me, here, here's the thing with Johnny Manziel. I watched the kid in college. I was impressed. Very impressed. He he uses a CFL skill set that is perfect for the CFL, but doesn't necessarily work in the NFL. In the NFL, it's this ground and 
ground and pound. You know, you don't really have the mobile quarterback. There's a lot of pocket passing. Johnny Manziel, I'm cool in my chest if Johnny Manziel comes to Hamilton. And by the way, June Jones, you say you're the coach of the Hamilton Tiger Cats. Please just do some research on quarterbacks in the CFL before you make some kind of statement like that. Like, for for me, honestly, Ryan, I was so caught off guard by that. I think a lot of people were, Mike. Like, for me, it's like he disrespected guys. And I, I don't think he meant it intentionally. I think it was just his way of being caught up in the Johnny Manziel hype. But I think... I think people knew what he wanted to say. I just think it came out entirely different than what he intended to say. Right, and I think that's a great way to put it. How much of this hype and this rumors around Johnny Manziel potentially coming to Hamilton, how does this affect the negotiation process in terms of Jeremiah Mazzoli? And what does he, does this lead him to want to look somewhere else in terms of free agency, do you think? Honestly, no, Ryan, because I don't see Johnny Manziel, or Johnny Football, as the nickname goes. Um, I don't see him being a starter in the first year, so I don't think it's a concern for 2018. Frankly, I don't know what Johnny Manziel, what kind of shape he's in. I am not in a position to go see Johnny Manziel at an open workout. I understand Hamilton. May have had an open workout with him uh, a couple weeks before the season ended. Uh, and that led to the whole thing with Randy Ambrosi and the meeting and the contract not being registered and all that kind of stuff. The only t- person that can make these determinations as to what Johnny Manziel does is Johnny Manziel himself. If he humbles himself and decides that he wants to play football, with a chance to be in the NFL. But that being said, if his goal is to get back to the NFL, great. I'm sure that every CFL, CFL's, um, that every CFL player's goal. But the right. problem is, Johnny Manziel, this is not the NFL. Like, Johnny Manziel has to come in. He has to show me, like, as a fan, if I'm a coach, I'm not handing the, the reins of my starting uh quarterback job, be it in Hamilton, be it anywhere, to a guy that's been out of football for the last couple of years, to me, he has to come in and he has to earn that respect amongst his teammates. Especially, I think, when you have a good thing going like they had with Jeremiah Mazzoli in the second half of the season there. So so to answer your question, and I know it's a long-winded answer, I don't think Jeremiah Mazzoli has anything to worry about. I think Johnny Mazzoli comes in. I know he's got maybe a two- or three-year deal. You know, he comes in, he learns the ropes, and I think this is what Hamilton wanted last year, was they wanted him in there for a couple weeks so he could learn and have a head start for camp. But now that he didn't get that, the learning process starts in training camp. All we have to do is look next door to our neighbors in the West, Vince Young. How did that turn out? Not not necessarily well. So I think... For Johnny Manziel, he has to come in. He has to earn the respect of his teammates. He's got to work hard. He's got to get rid of that tinted image of himself that 
you know, that's been out there. He's got to humble himself, and over time, you know, he's going to build his own new, not new character, but we're going to see a, a character that's a humble Johnny Manziel and one that is the team player. And from that, I think you can slowly, you know, start to hand him responsibility. But I don't right. think it's something he gets on day one. Uh, just looking at a couple more news and notes quickly. Uh, Derek Wigan gets a two-year extension with the Calgary Stampeders, defensive lineman out in Calgary. He re-ups for two years. Uh, I want to get your quick thoughts on these couple things here, Mike, before we yep. kind of move on. A uh, sure. couple coaches out in BC, Kahari Jones, Marcelo Simmons, Robin Ross, uh, let go by the BC Lions. Obviously, I think Kahari Jones is most notable of them. What do you make of that? Well, I don't know. I mean... I'm a little bit surprised Tari Jones is is out, but on the flip side, it's you know this is Ed Hervey's team now. Wally reports to Ed. Well, who reports to Wally Ed. as we talked about last week? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> However, that works. Now, the interesting thing for me here would be Tommy Condell if he comes back as an OC in BC. Or if he finds his way back in the CFL period, if it's with BC. And then, of course, Zach Talaros to BC with Tommy Condell. So Interesting. There, there, there's, there's a lot of behind-the-scenes musical chairs. And I heard a great analogy. I don't know where I heard this. There's so many quarterbacks in this carousel this offseason, but there's only so many chairs. <laughs> that, I, that's, I, a, that's a great way to put it. I like that. Um, and, and the, and the question is, who's going to be left standing, quarterback-wise, team-wise, when the music stops? Great and analogy, Toronto, Mike. Toronto clearly sensed that the music was coming on, so they made this move today. That may have been the most poetic thing ever said in the four years of this podcast. No, <laughs> no I, I, I heard it from somewhere. I think it was the sports cage in Regina, so give them all the credit. All right, fair enough. Um, and then, uh, so Devon Coybrook's officially out of the running for Alouette's head coaching job. We know Paul Apolis is staying here in Winnipeg. Those were kind of two guys that were considered front runners. Who do you see as being the front runner for the head coaching job with the Alouettes right now? Davis Reed. You think he's going to stick around as head I mean, coach? What, I mean, what option does he have? All of his options clearly don't want to go there. Unless he brings in somebody from the States. But, man, the door's closing on any possible coaching openings. Yeah, well, you have to wonder. I guess there's a couple yeah. more guys out there. You wonder, uh, you know, uh, does uh, maybe Kahari Jones gets a start, uh, a head coaching job. Uh, now that he's available, you look at a guy maybe he tries to lure Corey Chamberlain out of Toronto. Nah, Chamberlain's a smart guy, Ryan. You, you, you really think he'd want to leave that for Montreal? No, I'm just saying those are probably the guys that, from Montreal's standpoint, they're probably looking at next, right? But Montreal, Ryan, and we've said this countless times, and I have more and more respect for our friend Cliffy at Montreal, and, but he has to sit through all of that. The image of the Montreal Alouettes is not enticing to future head coaches at this point in time. Right. Devon Claybrooks, it's no secret, I think wants to be a CFL coach. 
but I think he looked at it. Do I want to be a CFL coach so bad that I'm willing to go through what's going on in Montreal? Or, hey, I have it so well in Calgary. Do I stay one more year in Calgary and then see what opens up next year, right? So right. it's kind of image protection for Devon Claybrooks. And I, I he's a smart guy. And LaPolice, La much the same way. And anybody else that's considered. It's it's image protection, and is it worth giving up what I have now, which is good for a head coaching job, which in many cases might be better, but in the case of Montreal, may not be better. So it's unfortunate that Montreal finds themselves in this position, but not all that surprising. Uh and then the one other thing I want to talk about before we get into the Bombers offseason preview is uh, Nick Lewis, Mike, is a guy that, you know, may not be making noise out on the football field mm-hmm. anymore, but he's certainly a guy that's making noise out on social media, got into a lot of discussion, a lot of arguments with people this week. Uh, Most importantly, Jerry Lawless. Yes, regarding the... The ratio in the CFL, the number of Canadians you need to have on the field. The argument made was that, you know, by requiring a certain number of Canadians out on the football field, you're not getting the best talent you can out on the field. Where do you stand on this whole argument? Uh, I'm sorry, I, I don't agree. Was it Nick Lewis, the one that said... There should be less Canadians on the field. I believe I believe that was originally. He was. Let's get this straight. He wasn't saying get rid of it entirely. There shouldn't be any Canadians. He was just saying, you know, he he made a point that well, if you're required to put a Canadian out on the field, you have some excellent football players that should deserve a spot, but don't get one due to the ratio. You know what, Ryan? For me, like, is this the NFL? No. Like, I, I'm sorry. Like, that's why the Canadian Football League has the appeal that it does. I, I think you need to have the set number of Canadians, and I think it's fine the way it is. Uh, I, I think, honestly, Ryan, there should be more Canadians on the field if possible, if there's some way to make it work. But at the end of the day, it is Canadian. What, what are you saying, right? You're going to eliminate the integral part of football in Canada, not the young Canadian players, by removing one or two off of rosters, then to me it turns too much like the NFL, right? We understand there's an abundance of talent, all that kind of stuff in the States, but at the end of the day, Ryan, this is the Canadian Football League. Canadians deserve to play, and I think the, the ratio should stay as is. Well, well, and here's the major question that's kind of asked along with it, is do we, as Canadians watching the CFL, care so much about having Canadian players on the field that if they reduce the ratio a little bit, would we stop watching the CFL? And I think, you know, as much as I agree with all of your points, I agree with what uh, people on Nick Lewis's side here are saying. No, right. probably not, right? We It's right. the love of the game as a whole. We watch the NHL, Mike. The Winnipeg Jets have probably more players from, what, Sweden or uh, America than the U.S. than they do from Canada. Do we still cheer for them? Of course, right? It's not about the nationality of the players that I think makes the CFL 
unique. It's the right. rule set in the CFL, just the no, way the game is played as a whole. I, I see both sides to the argument, Ryan, but here's the fact of the matter. We got a youth sport program that brings immense talent. These youth sport university football players that play in, they're, they're most of them, about 90, uh, maybe, I don't know what the statistics are, but a lot of them anyway are Canadian. A lot of these Canadians don't get picked in the NFL draft. Very few get picked. Where are these guys going to play when they're done their youth sport football career? Because you talk to them. They don't want to give up football. But if you're going to eliminate the number of, of Canadians that can make a CFL team or have to be on the field at the same time, you're taking away those dreams from a Canadian kid. However, may I propose something else to you? Sure. And that is, that is to say that a certain number of practice squad spots have to be occupied by Canadians. Instead of spots out on the field or in combination with it. Or in combination. You know, just get those. And especially this is where uh, what I'd like to see come out of the meeting with uh, Randy Ambrosi and Brandon Bridge about the Canadian quarterback. Right, scheduled I for would, uh, December 18th, a week from today. Right, so I would like to see something where if you hold a Canadian, it doesn't count against your practice roster or something like that. Yeah, and, and I think it's an interesting conversation. And, and if I were to pick a side on it, you know, I probably... Like, I... It's hard for me to pick a side because I see the points Nick Lewis makes. I see yeah. all the other oh, and points and the not... ones you made there as right. well. I would, I, I agree with you. I love seeing, you know, I root for the Canadians out on the field. You know how much I was enjoying watching Brandon Bridge and Andrew Buckley play in the time they played this year, among other Canadians out there. Yeah. Um, I, I, I think it's an interesting conversation, and, and I love it so much that you know you have a. You know, a CFL all-star, record player, Hall of Famer to come, having this debate with fans, that's how connected the CFL is, and I love it. No, I, I agree, but I think to go that public on a, on an issue to me, like, I, I didn't like that part of it. Right. For me, it didn't... Uh, Nick Lewis respected I love the guy he's a great football player but there's other channels in which your point can be made and I don't think social media to the extent that he had that conversation with people was the right avenue to do it yeah and that's fair and I think that's a fair way to round up but definitely an interesting discussion to be had um, in regards to the ratio in the CFL moving on Mike to talking about the Winnipeg Blue Bombers and setting up the offseason for the Bombers here. Let's start by taking a look back at the season that just happened. Kind of The Bombers finished 12-6. and six. They host the first home playoff game at Investors Group Field in the stadium's history, um, and they end up losing to the Edmonton Eskimos in that game. What went well for the Winnipeg Blue Bombers this season? Everything but the playoff game, to be honest with you. But specifically, um, I think we saw an offense that, for 
a season and a season and fifteen games or so. I'm counting, not counting the first five of last year, but seemed to suddenly uh, find some consistency. I understand the Bombers had a couple down days offensively, but every team does. I was really impressed with the continuity on offense, but what they established from game sits onward last year continued this year. Yeah, and I agree with you. I thought, you know, the Bombers had one of the highest scoring offenses in the CFL. Uh, They were really on a roll all season long, and it was a good mix of run and pass, I think, for the Bombers, which, you know... I, it was a great balance on offense. I think Paul Apolise did an outstanding job of using all the pieces that was provided to him. I think, personally, the maybe one of the biggest positives for the Winnipeg Blue Bombers in 2017, and it was kind of built the year before as well, is that over the bad years for the Bombers, you know, a couple seasons ago, what would, what would you have said was probably the number one issue for them? Well, for me, it was on defense. Because a lot of the games that they lost, you know, if their defense could have prevented a couple more, you know, a couple big plays and it made a couple key stops at the key time. See, for... to... Sorry, go ahead. I, I need to say that about a lot of teams, but I don't want to pin this on the defense to say the defense let us down, but... I don't know what more you could have gotten from your special team than your offense as a whole. No, and here's where I was going with that point, with the positive for the Bombers this season, is during the bad years, and I'm talking kind of the Joe Mack era here in Winnipeg, the biggest issue, arguably for the Bombers, was the offensive line was not good for many years here in Winnipeg. And I I, I think you can make the argument that the Winnipeg Blue Bombers had the best offensive line in the CFL this season. Yeah. So I think that's something for me, the just the growth, you know, and that helps your offense so, so much. We see teams, you look at the BC Lions this year on offense, we were expecting explosive things from them. Look at all the pieces they had at wide receiver. Offensive line couldn't protect the quarterback and give them time to throw the ball. Has a huge effect on the game as much as you want to talk about the stars at running back, receiver, and at quarterback. Those guys on the offensive line definitely do not get the recognition they deserve. And on the Bombers uh, side of things, they did an outstanding job this season. Yeah, it's, it, it's, again, it's too bad. And I don't want to be a negative downer, but it's just too bad that uh, the defense couldn't be as successful as the offense. Right. We had a couple, you know, there were... A lot of guys back from the year before, I feel like, for the Winnipeg Blue Bombers, but there were also some new pieces injected uh, in there this season. Who, for you, was the were kind of the best additions for the Winnipeg Blue Bombers from the year before? Sorry, can you repeat the question? Yeah, who? Uh, so the Bombers brought in a couple pieces in the offseason coming yep. into 2017. Who, for you, made the biggest impact out of the additions, and who was someone that... It was very positive to see the impact they made on this team. Um, are you saying free agents as a whole or signings? Uh, free agency, signings, anyone new that uh, first season as a bomber in 2017. Oh boy, you put me on the spot. <laughs> um, 
or it doesn't even have to be someone new. It could be someone that really kind of, you know, a coming out party for them in 2017. Josh and Jeff Cole. Yeah, I, th- I would agree with you. That was a great one there. Um, I would almost argue, uh, and this came in the second half of the season, while he's been known to be an outstanding CFL defensive lineman, but Tristan Ocapoago for the Winnipeg Blue Bombers in the first half of the year, you know, didn't see too many spectacular things, but then Jamal Westerman goes down, and he really took things over on that defensive line, and yeah. I thought he did a great job there. Another one uh, that I would throw into that list, too, is Corey Johnson. Yeah, I would agree with you on that. Um, a lot of defensive players, I would argue, offensively, I guess the uh, the two-way threat, kind of, of Timothy Flanders. I know he was around the year before, but he really started to get used more in that offense this year, and I thought he was a dynamic piece, and uh, you could tell when he was in the lineup he was making noise. Javon Santos not too. Trevon Santos Knox, Brian Walker. Really, you, you always see that, right? You see a couple kind of rookies on the defense that always step up and make those big plays, and I think those two guys specifically definitely did so this year. One guy, honestly, Ryan, we could just talk about disappointments for a minute. Yep. Drake Navis. I mean, the guy had all world potential, and I don't think we really saw the real Drake Navis until October. And it was really, really unfortunate. Yeah, I agree with you. That one was kind of a disappointment as well. We were expecting big things. You look at what the Bombers did to improve their defensive line last offseason. They bring in Drake Nevis. They bring in Tristan Ocapoago. They've got Jamal Westerman there already. Like That was looking like a formidable defensive line. Right. And we really didn't see much from Drake Nevis, Nevis uh, no. all season long. My question is, is that Drake Nevis or is that the scheme? Because I can't recall the Bombers blitzing overly much. That could have been the scheme. That very well could have been a big part of it. So I, I just, it's really unfortunate with the front four of that Bomber uh, team that they possessed and those guys that come in and out every single time, that they didn't blitz more. Because I'll tell you what, when the Bombers blitzed, they were as good as any team. Sock-wise and tackle-wise. Right. I think the Bombers just played too much man defense, allowed guys to get open in space, and unfortunately too much space in some cases. Yeah, and if you want to continue on the disappointing side a little bit, I think offensively you look at maybe a guy like Clarence Denmark. Kind of, you know, he had his great games early on in the season, but he really faded down the stretch. That could have also been a scheme thing as well, but you look at guys like Wesson Dressler going down, Darvin Adams going down, you're expecting to see a guy like Clarence Denmark get more involved, and he really didn't get a chance to do so down the stretch of the season. Yeah, I mean, here's another thing that we have to uh, we have to consider. And I, I mean, we're piling on this defense for maybe been able to do a better job. But the offense, to me, faltered down the stretch a little bit. Had a couple of chances to stay on the field, preserve some time of possession, because for me, the Bombers won a lot of games, Ryan, when they were getting first downs on that offense, 
keeping the defense to a minimum on the field as little as possible. And to me, that's a really bad sign. Right. It, do you remember those Bomber teams when the Bombers weren't necessarily having, you know, the greatest of seasons, uh, 2008, 2009, 2010, or even 2011? More so 2011, Ryan. Well, that was a good season, wasn't it? Yeah, and uh, and that's what I'm saying. The Bombers did not necessarily have the best offense, but they had a defense that did rain out a 19-3 Eastern final win against Hamilton, anchored by Doug Brown and all these kind of defensive guys. Now, my question and my worry with the Bombers were offense, 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 offense. But the offense wasn't as successful when the weather turned colder and the games got more defensive. Mm. And the problem was, and I don't think, and I never thought the Bombers were capable of winning a 19-3 to game consistently, you know, one of those defensive, lock it down, offensive struggle days where you need a score or two from the defense or a turnover to help with, you know, field position. The Bombers forced a lot of turnovers the last two years, but the problem is they couldn't tackle anybody. Because I think a lot of their turnovers were as a result of being aggressive because they had no other option. Yeah, I was I was just about to make that same point, actually, so that's interesting. I, th- that, that was kind of the biggest if you want to talk about kind of negative things that came yeah. out of this season for the Bombers is or question marks is really like the defense, you never knew which defense was going to show up on a game. You came into a game fully expecting, you look at the other team right. quarterback, you look at a guy like Mike Riley, uh, Ricky Ray, you're either expecting, you know, okay, the defense is going to have a good day and we're going to see, you know, this quarterback on the ground and making mistakes all game long, or he's going to find holes like there's no tomorrow. Yeah, and that is one thing about those bomber defenses that were so good in 2011 and beyond. They were in the top two in sats, and they always led the lead, or they led the lead in sats. So if the bombers can find a way, and whether it's losing a couple of talented guys on offense to make up for the salary cap balance, if you will, between offense and defense, you know, spread the wealth around. For me, if the Bombers can find a way to tweak their defense and get back to that smash mouth, let's lock it down, you know, offense is not having a good day, consistent defense, like we saw from out of Calgary, like we saw from out of Edmonton for the longest time, the Bombers will be okay. Yeah, and I think the uh, in terms of what we're looking to with the that is the question with the Bombers defense right now, right? Is what is it going to look like next year? And I think the biggest question right now is what is it going to look like at the defensive coordinator position? And I wonder, you know, kind of rolling back to the point you were making there about they force a lot of turnovers because it's kind of a do-or-die situation for them. They need to force them, right? And how many times, Ryan, was it if the guy wasn't going to make the turnover, was the guy gone for a 70-yard touchdown the other way? 
So I'll ask you this. The yep. defensive struggles of the Winnipeg Blue Bombers, how much of it is the scheme uh, and the coaching of defensive coordinator Richie Hall? And how much of it in that case, Mike, do we need to maybe not focus on the turnovers so much, but just tackle the guy? I don't know, man. It's a, it's a fine... Uh, it's a balance of... And I don't like the way Michael Shea went about this in his press conference. Yes, we gave up a lot of yards, but yes, we forced a lot of turnovers, so there's a fine balance. Well, I don't no, you, like you never want to find a balance. You want to tip the scales in your favor. I know, but I, I don't like that comment because... No, and that's what I'm agreeing with you. We, we, we saw, to be honest with you, the Bombers struggle on days where they did not force turnovers. Yeah. I exhibit a Western semifinal. Exactly. The game would have completely changed if the Bomber defense forces three turnovers on Mike Riley. But the problem is, Mike Riley doesn't turn the ball over an awful lot. The Bombers beat Edmonton the two times before that or three times before that because they forced turnovers. The bottom line is, this is the defense that's too much reliant on the turnover. And it's it's really infuriating as a fan because this offense has all the talent in the world. we got a number one, number two offense in the lead. But we have a defense that needs to rely on turnovers for the team as a whole to have success. If you were to look at the Bombers' defense coming into next year, let's say they go make a lot of changes yep. on the field in free agency, but they decide to stick around with Richie Hall next year. What is your what is your feeling about the Bombers' defense coming into next season? Are, uh, do you feel you know? Do you feel like it's going to be a good year at that point? Obviously, a lot of this depends on what changes are made to the personnel, or if or for you to feel confident in the Bombers' defense next year. Does Richie Hall need to be replaced? Honestly, man, I look at this as a situation of I don't want to be on Twitter the day it's announced that if Richie Hall is returning, he's returning. It's almost like every time uh, Paul Maurice and Kevin Cheveldayoff get extensions. Well, I mean, this year is different, of course. I know, oh, yeah. they've lost, I know they've lost three in a row, but yeah. But on the flip side, it's... Winnipeg is sick and tired of mediocre, and if Richie Hall comes back, the knives are going to be out. You can just feel the angst. You can feel the angst with that defense. And I just don't know. I don't know, Ryan, what you do if Richie Hall comes back. Because let's let me present a hypothetical to you. Yeah. Richie Hall comes back. They change a few personnel. They keep the scheme the same. The same thing happens next year as what happened this year. Andrew Harris's contract is up. The major guys' contracts are up after next year. Do you really think that those guys offensively if they don't get help from their defense or they don't want to stick around long-term? No. Look yeah. at Andrew Harris. 
much as you hear from what, and by the way, congratulations, Andrew, on your engagement this week. Yes, I was going to mention the same thing. Um, to me, Andrew Harris is to win championships as much as it is to play at home. He wants to win a great cup. But at some point, these guys have to look and say, as much as Michael Shea's a good coach, the inability to make the changes that need to be made for team success is really concerning. Now, I'm not in those defensive meetings, so I could be way off, and this could be a personnel problem, by all means. Right. But we have all-stars on this team, at cornerback, and everywhere else on the football field. There's a really delicate balance here, Ryan, of we need to keep this defense intact versus this is the defense that gave up too many yards. And I'm leaning towards let's not turn the ball over or force as many turnovers as we did, but have a more consistent defense that gives up in the neighborhood of 350 to 400 yards and not 450 to 600 yards a game. You know what I mean? For sure. Like, like that's an extra 19 or so. That's an extra 10 minutes or so on the field. And that's an extra football field of real estate for the other team's offense to work with. Mm-hmm. So, yards is time. Yep. The more yards you give up, the more time you're on defense. Well, so, the uh, the Toronto Argonauts might argue that with their Grey Cup performance, Mike, but 100-yard touchdown pass, 108-yard fumble return, and they win the Grey Cup. So, But yes, but, you're, generally your argument is correct. The, the law of average, what we saw in the Grey Cup doesn't happen in the generalization of Canadian football. Right. 95% of the time in the CFL, teams win with what Calgary did. Yep. Teams win what Calgary did. Teams win with what Calgary did in the Grey Cup, and Calgary should have won that game. They kept Toronto in it way too long. But that's not how you win games defensively in the CFL. Right. So I think yeah, I, I think if you look back on this Bomber season and the team they had, a lot of the pieces are in place for a championship team Absolutely. here in Winnipeg. I think yep. it's a overall, you know, well, yes, the overall end result was not what anyone wanted. I think there's a lot of pieces in place for the Bombers to build around. I love how the offense came together. So getting into the offseason, because that's where, you you know, you make the couple moves you need to put yourself in that position coming into next year. What are the biggest keys for the Winnipeg Blue Bombers this offseason? Figure out if it's Richie Hall or schematic and do analytics and do video and all this kind of stuff. The Bombers have a window here that's opening up with a chance to be a legit great top contender. The don't waste the window. That That's my only plea to Kyle Walters and Michael Shea. And that's really the biggest key and the biggest question mark coming into the offseason. I think we can all agree. Yeah, and, and I want the bond. I, I would like nothing more than for Michael Shea to come out and say, we realize this is a problem. We are addressing it. Here are the steps we are taking to address the problem. Right. 
And I really don't believe that sitting through till February 13th when free agency starts is going to be satisfying to fans. Yeah, and I think if you want to look at another key that's may that's still been talked about, but maybe not as much, I think you need to look at bringing in a bit more depth at wide receiver for the Winnipeg Blue Bombers because we saw, you know, when Darvin Adams went down, mm-hmm. when Weston Dressler went down, well, some of the younger guys, you know, you look at your uh, your Damian Washingtons, your Matt Coates uh, played great in that West Final. Do Tarski to an extent. To an extent. And Chris Givens down the stretch. Um, probably missing someone. If I do, I apologize. Um, but you had these guys that, well, they played decently. You, you, oh, Ryan Lineford is another guy. Yes, you, you could tell that the Bombers were lacking a bit of depth at wide receiver. So I think they need someone, they need to go out and get someone um, to build up that depth a little bit, maybe a bit more of kind of a bigger, stronger wide receiver. Uh, No one can match the great Nick Lewis, but I'm talking about a kind of guy like that because I don't think the Bombers had kind of a big, strong wide receiver like that. Can Uh, Can I put it to you this way? Yep. They need another Weston Dressler in their lineup. Oh, I was going to say the opposite. Okay. I, I, I like Dressler's speed, and yeah, I would agree with you, but I think they need a bigger, rough-and-tumble wide receiver who can, you know, win those battles a little bit. I think like, you've like got... Like Tamar Jordan, Mark, and Michelle kind of guy? Yeah, exactly. I mean, you've got a guy in Darvin Adams who already does a lot of that, but he does yep. that with his height, obviously. Um, but I think that's a piece that the Bombers could use at wide receiver. Do you mean game-breaking receiver? Yes and no. Setting down, game on the line, need a catch. Yeah, maybe not a guy that's going to beat you down the field for the long bombs, but that guy, uh, you look at maybe like the Markway McDaniel of the Calgary Stampeders. Or or the the Ben Cahoon types to go back to Montreal. Exactly, and now obviously the Bombers aren't going to go out and get a Ben Cahoon because one of the greatest receivers in CFL history, but... Right. I, I think I think wide receiver depth is another position that they need to focus on in the offseason. Uh, to me, it's figure out what you're going to do on defense. They have a lot of free agents on defense. I don't know which position defensively needs to be targeted most, um, right. but I think it's the overall scheme, the personnel on defense. Figure that out and then focus on the, and then bring in a couple of key wide receivers. Shore up your offensive line. Might I make make a suggestion? Yeah. If he doesn't go to the NFL, they should go after Nick Dembski. Well, it remains to be seen how Nick Dembski recovers. He missed most of the season due to injury, did he not? Right. So. But he's that. And I think the Bombers, too, right, need to get away from using starters on those specialty teams, punch and tip returns. Interesting. I, I think they need a game-breaker guy that can be a backup asset, like a third-string asset on the depth chart. That is, there to return kits, make the odd catch, like like a Chris Rainey, you know? Mm-hmm. He's, in, he's involved in the offense, but not really. Right, and or Cal- uh, Roy Finch as well for the Calgary Stampede. Right, Th- those type of players to make a... Uh, to make a real impact and not have this wear and tear 
Other day, like Mo Leggett, Kevin Fudd was on both defense, and and then having to basically run down the field for a punt return down to whatever yard line, and then have to sit out a couple plays because he was so tired from running, and then basically go out there and do it all over again on defense, right? Right. So just the 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 ability to use other roster pieces to give defensive guys some rest and offensive guys to official choose. Looking at the Bombers' free agent list here, they've re-signed a couple guys so far. Jamarcus Hardrick, it was Pat Newfeld re-signed, right? Justin Medlock, uh, Timothy Flanders. These have got, been guys over the last couple of weeks the Bombers have all re-signed. Looking at the official list here on the CFL website, uh, kind of the positions we talked about identifying in the offseason a little bit are the ones that, where we have a couple free agents for the Winnipeg Blue Bombers, especially defensively. A lot of big pieces are currently not signed for next year, and there's a bit potential for a bit of movement there. You got Kevin Fogg, TJ Heath, Sam Hurl, Kyle Knox, uh, Mo Leggett, Drake Nevis, as we were talking about before, Chris Randall, Jake Thomas, Jamal Westerman, and Ian Wild all on this list for the Bombers. What do you expect to change? Do you expect a lot of these guys to be brought back, or do you see them reinventing the defense completely? The question is Richie Hall back. I guess it kind of relates to that, right? Because if Richie Hall is back, sure, he, he'll probably say, yeah, we forced a lot of turnovers, let's bring my guys back. Right. The new defensive coordinator, if whoever it might be, and I have no idea, might say, you know what, I want to bring my own guys in. And I, I, I think I wouldn't be surprised if we hear something in the next week or so about Bomber defensive coordinator. Richie Hall's returning one way or another, and then we can kind of start, you know, making assumptions off of that. Well, and I think we're definitely, there's definitely pieces here that need to be brought back, in my opinion. For the uh, Bombers defense, uh, you look at guys like Chris Randall and TJ Heath, Jamal Westerman, Mo Leggett. I, I don't know if the Bombers are going to be able to keep all of these guys because while, yes, they struggled with the yardage on defense, Bombers had some all-stars on defense this yeah. year. And I don't know if they can keep all of them, but these are some of the guys to me when I'm looking at this list of free agents. They're the most key guys up on that list. Chris Randall. Mo Leggett, TJ Heath. I mean, those were the backbones of the Bombers' defense. And I'll throw Jamal Westerman in there, too. Keep in mind, Mo... Is Mo? Yeah, it was Mo. Mo Leggett might not even be able to play until the later part of next year. Right. Based on when his injury was suffered. That's true. Oh, and then it remains to be seen, uh, Jamal Westerman, his injury was kind of a mystery. I imagine come next year he would be ready to go. Yeah. But, uh, and then looking at the offensive side of things, uh, we mentioned a couple offensive linemen brought back already, but Travis Bond is a free agent, Stanley Bryant's a free agent, Manasseh Fakedi, I think you told me yesterday he's been brought back already, right? Yeah, although there's an interesting thing about that. The Bombers are denying the re-sign, and I talked with somebody today for the Bombers. Interesting. Um, looking at wide receiver, I mentioned the depth at wide receiver. You've got Clarence Denmark's a free agent, Weston Dressler, 
Julian Fioli Godino is a free agent. Um, Justin Medlock was re-signed by the Bombers, kicker, punter. Uh, Christophe Normand, the fullback, and Dan Lefevre uh, at backup quarterback kind of round out the Bombers' free agents here. I wonder if some of these guys are going to be brought back. I think Weston Dressler, without a doubt, is a guy the Bombers will try to bring back. But the other wide receiver positions, I wonder if how Clarence Denmark trailed off down the stretch. And this is not me suggesting from my personal Mm. standpoint that Clarence Denmark doesn't deserve to be back with the Winnipeg Blue Mm. Bombers. I wonder if he will be brought back next year, though. I'm I'm wondering if we're at a real crossroads. And they said, you know what? Those guys are good. But let's wait and see what we can get in free agency. And from scouting. Julian Fioli-Godino is an interesting uh, free agent at wide receiver to me. While it never hurts to have Canadian content, and I thought he played great uh, for a lot of this year, Matt Coates really came on late in the year, especially in that last game there. Does that almost push JFG out of a job? I don't know. I, I think, to me, there's a lot of unknowns around the CFL. And there's an alarming number of free agents that are lead-wide. So I think there's going to be a lot of interesting movements. And it's like everybody has a need of some kind, every CFL team. Even the Great Cup champion Toronto Argonauts, even the Calgary Stampeders, who many thought were invincible for the longest time. Right. I just want to see exactly how much movement and who goes where come February. A lot of questions I think will be answered leading up to free agency and what other teams do as far as re-signing their other guys. And once this coaching carousel stops. Bombers backup quarterback position interests me. Dan Lefevre is a free agent. Dom Davis is under contract for next year. What do you, do you bring, I mean, Lefevre was, I would argue, hands down the best quarterback in the CFL at the short yardage game in 2017. Um, Although, you know, teams finally figured out that anytime he stays on the field for more than a play, he's going to take the ball and run with it, which I think that needs to be tinkered with a little bit next year if he is brought back. But I, I think, do you bring him back for that alone, or are you looking for something else at the backup quarterback position? For I, I, I think you almost have to look. I think the Bombers really hurt themselves um, in that way by having Dom Davis under contract. Granted, of course, the contracts aren't guaranteed in the Canadian Football League. The Bombers need some kind of upgrade at the quarterback position. Behind Matt Nichols, obviously. Yes, yes. Because you look at the substantial drop-off that occurred when Nichols missed those couple games, I don't want to hear about, oh, at the end of the season, the Bombers didn't have a lot to play for, blah, blah, blah. I want a quarterback that if Matt Nichols gets hurt, I go, ah, I don't have to worry about, you know. I want to know that when the Bombers have a backup quarterback in the game, we stand a chance of winning. 
And I don't want to see loyalty to a guy who I don't care how many reps he has, but cannot get the job done. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. It's like Michael Shea, for some reason, seems fixated on the fact that Dom Davis seems to be the answer at backup. He protects the guy like no tomorrow. Meanwhile, we've had a potential situation in Toronto where Ricky Ray has a potential of his backup being James Franklin. Right. Jeremiah Mazzoli has a situation where Zach Talaros, as currently constructed, is his backup. The drop-off from starter to backup for other teams is not as steep as it is with the Winnipeg Blue Bombers. That's no disrespect to Dom Davis, but in fairness, Dom Davis is rated a 60-something on my Madden 25 video <laughs> game. And the, I don't mean to slam Dom Davis whatsoever, but if the Bombers are going to go anywhere, and Matt Nichols is going to be out long-term, and I hope he, as sure as heck, hope he's not. But if we're in a situation where Nichols breaks his arm or breaks his leg, I don't have confidence in the quarterback depth chart as currently constructed. Now, let's be fair. EA Sports' ratings have always been questionable. Right. So (laughs) if only we could make all of our personnel decisions based on Madden ratings. The other thing at quarterback, Ryan, just I'm glad you brought this up. I don't have the name in front of me, but the Blue Bombers, as you recall, have signed a quarterback out of college last fall to a futures contract for next year. I'm trying to find the name. And I'm wondering how he fits into the situation. Interesting. I, uh, I'll, I'll admit I don't remember quite who you're talking about either. So, yeah, it's and interesting to be seen. I'll, I'll look it up. Uh, Just kind of looking at the free agent list as a whole for the Winnipeg Blue Bombers. If you could only re-sign one guy, I'll, I'll give you two guys. Off, one on offense, one on defense. Who are you choosing? Uh, offense, Dressler. Defense, Molaidit. I'm actually, uh, I'm going to, you know what, I kind of agree with you on defense. Molaidit does so much for this team. I was going to say Chris Randall originally, but I agree with you on the impact of Molaidit. Offensively, as much as I love Weston Dressler, for me it's Travis Bond. I think he's a guy that's made such an impact on that offense. Yeah, like, how, it, how much money does he command? No, that's the problem. Right. Uh, this is kind of the whole the if money wasn't an issue type thing, right? If right. money wasn't an issue, I'm looking at Travis Bond because he's been such an integral part of that offensive line, which, like I said before, was arguably the best in the CFL this season. Here's the thing. Uh, here's kind of my 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 last thought on this, and that is, uh, boy, I lost my train of thought. Um, what, what were you just saying? Five seconds ago. Oh, I was just saying, uh, talking about Travis Bond, and if money wasn't an issue, oh, he'd be oh, my yeah, number okay. one guy to bring back on okay, offense. Yeah, that's that's. There was a report out there that Stanley Bryant made $170,000 or so last year. I, I shudder to think what Travis Bond made last year. And I don't know. Those guys 
rightfully so have earned an upgrade in pay. Stanley Bryant being the CFL's most outstanding offensive lineman this year. Travis Bond arguably being the meanest offensive lineman in the <laughs> CFL. I mean, there comes a point where money talks, and the Bombers don't have money unless they shed money somewhere else. So right. it's it's the wonderful dynamic that all nine CFL teams have to deal with. Yeah, and I was going to, you know, I kind of wanted to get into almost the discussion of, okay, now we talked about who should be brought back and whatnot. Now with all the options out there, who should be brought in for the Winnipeg Blue Bombers? But there's so many different options out there that we could spend hours scrolling through it. Yeah. And, we, we I mean, I think we kind of covered that already, didn't we? We were talking about you bringing that wide receiver. You meant, you know, we were kind of talking about the different kind kinds of wide receivers, guys like that, to bring into the team or on defense. Yeah. So I, I don't know if, you know, I don't really want to go down that path of, okay, right. this guy specifically. Basically, these are the needs for the Winnipeg Blue Bombers in the offseason. These are the types of players we expected them to go out and get, as right. we mentioned before. So we're going to end the show here. I think we've had a great talk about the Winnipeg Blue Bombers uh, 2017 season and what's to come in the off season here. Uh, so that does it for this week. We'll be back again next week talking about another team and teeing up free agency for them. Stay tuned to find out who that will be because we have not decided yet. Um, we'll talk about I that. have ideas. We have ideas. We'll talk about that next week. Any final super quick thought you have here, Mike? I think, to me, the burning question for the Bombers is we have to know sooner rather than later, one way or another, is Richie Hall back? Then you got to figure out who's a priority, and then get those deals done, and then go shopping. I think that's a great way to sum it up. That's how we're going to end our show. We'll be back again next week. And keep in mind, fans, we might not hear anything on the future of Richie Hall, and that means that he's coming back because he is under contract. Right. Yes, exactly. So status quo, I suppose. Status quo. Stay tuned to see if there's any information. If there is, we'll cover it on our show next week, in which we continue our off-season look around the CFL. This has been the Canadian Football Countdown. For Michael Garrell, I'm Ryan Coop saying thank you for listening. I hope you enjoyed it. Have a wonderful week, and we'll talk to you again next week. Bye. Bye. <laughs>